Some people pay big money to go over to Bethlehem this time of year. But the baby that was in that cave is in this room. I'm going to try that again. The baby that was in that stable is in this building. And he didn't come to mess around. He came to beat up on the devil and to destroy the works of Satan. Boy, I feel miracles already. Man. Oh, I've, for a moment there, I almost felt sorry for the devil, but I got over it quick. Say, I know your heart. Say, I believe that today is a day of miracles. Tonight, I'm in a house filled with miracles, amazing things from the hand of God. Father, I give you the glory for what you're going to do in my life, healing my body, healing my mind, and filling me with power like never before. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Boy, I, I just feel like you have to shout a little bit. Come on, give the Lord a shout. Hallelujah. Glory. Well, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag right off the top. I am Victory Outreach. Amen. I'm a... I can't, I'll tell you what. How many of you believe in winning souls? How many of you believe that we're to take the blessing of God outside the church to the highways and the byways where people are hurting? How many of you believe this is too good to keep to ourselves? Well, that's why I'm Victory Outreach, because I'm, I'm addicted to winning souls. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, I want you to look at somebody right now, and I, I just kind of make them do this. Look at them right now and say, you must be a genius because you decided to sit next to me. You must be a genius. This is the power spot right here. Tell them that. This is where the power is right here. You must be a genius. Hallelujah. How many of you are happy to be in the house of God? It's hard for churches to get a crowd like this on a Monday night. And uh, I want to tell you how honored I am that so many of you have shown up. But I want to look at you a second. This is going to remove 10 minutes out of my sermon if we can do this real fast. I want to explain miracles to you tonight. And I want you to understand that there is no hiding what my goal is this evening. At some point, you and Jesus are going to have a collision. And that collision that you're going to have with Christ is going to spell the end of diabetes, the end of hepatitis C. It's the end of sickness. My job as a man of God and evangelist, because the Bible tells us there are five office gifts, and one of the five is the office gift of evangelists. And the Bible says, how lovely are the feet of them that bring good news. 
How lovely on the mountain are the feet of them that bring good news. I am a bearer of good news. And I'm, my job is to get you to have every barrier between you and your healing removed in Jesus' name. Now, how many of you would like to know the first barrier? What is the first barrier we're going to destroy? Is the idea that tonight is not your night. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Put your hand over your heart right now. Say, tonight is my night. This is the point for my miracle. I'm going to be healed. This is my night to be touched by God. You believe that? You just saved 10 minutes of my preaching right now. Let's shout to the Lord one more time. Well, you may be seated. We're going to get busy right now. I want to uh, mention something to you all. I'm not, I don't believe in introductory remarks. I believe in you just start preaching. I have friends with me tonight. First of all, I want to have you honor my wife, Michelle Marillo. Would you stand, sweetheart, right now? Glory to God. We have people that have served so powerfully. You see Brother Derek Gayton standing over there against the wall. What a man of God that is. And uh, Joshua Olmos, would you stand up? This is my right-hand man, man of God. Glory to God. There's a lot of darkness in the world today. Division, anger, disappointment, confusion. And that's just my Oakland Raiders. How many of you will agree with me in prayer? Whew. That's the first miracle I'm believing God for. Last but not least, I want to introduce to you, you know, when I, I used to work with Catherine Kuhlman in Los Angeles. And I, that's where I first became addicted to Jesus and his miraculous power. And she had a very gifted uh, keyboard artist that would play while she preached and ministered. And I don't believe in manipulating an audience with music, but I remember in 2 Kings chapter 3 that Elisha the prophet said, get someone who can play an instrument well and let them play, then I will prophesy. Well, Doug Morris, who you see on the keyboard, is not just a, a keyboard artist. He's anointed of God to play. And uh, this is not mood music. It's a weapon in the hand of God. And I'd like you to greet him right now. This is Doug Morris. Glory to God. Every one of us have a moment in our life where we learn to cry out to God. And where we learn to cry out to God with all of our might. And I'm about to tell you a story, a very intimate and personal story of me, that three years I went to high school. It's a miracle I didn't end up going four. I had a 1.9 grade point average all the way through high school. And I don't care what you say, that is a C minus, not a D plus. And I was asleep. I, I remember I slept through most of high school. 
and I got saved too late for my grades to be born again. And uh, they decided at the last minute that I could get my diploma with all the other people in my class. And that was kind of them. But I had an appointment with a school counselor. And she sat there and she said, you are not college material. See, the ghetto puts stuff on you. The inner city puts stuff on you. Some people think that I'm a raving conservative because I'm so much skeptical of anything that's government-oriented. But I remember how the government made me feel about myself growing up. And I believed that they were trying to put something on me. And one of it was, you are not smart enough to go to college. You're not going to make it there. So you need to go to a trade school and learn how to survive. Let's use the two words. Everybody look at me. You're not going to college, and you're not really going to ever have abundance. You ought to be grateful that you are going to survive. That's what he, she told me. That's the label she was putting on me. She was just doing her job. She was trying to show me that government could take care of me. Problem was, I had been saved. Help me, somebody. I maybe know I have somebody to take care of me. Who, who in this room has somebody taking care of you? Who has somebody paying your bills, opening doors? Glory to God. I love this audience. I had been filled with the Holy Ghost. How many of you are filled with the Holy Ghost? I remember somebody foolishly told me, well, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He will never scare you. And that's not the Holy Ghost I know. When the Holy Ghost came on me, he nearly scared me to death. And when I was filled with the Spirit, I didn't understand that that gave God the right to bless me whenever he wanted to. God could bless me if I was at the supermarket. God could bless me just walking down the street. I might break out in a shout at the most unchurchy moment. How many of you are like that? Raise your hand right now. How many of you might shout just because you can't take it anymore? You know, I just can't take it. I've got to shout. I'm sitting there in that chair listening to this woman tell me, you're not college material. And you need to learn how to survive. When the Holy Ghost came on me, <laughs> and I just, I must, I'm looking back on that thinking, I must have scared that counselor to death because I didn't know God was going to come on me. But I looked at her and I jumped out of my seat and I yelled at her, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, no, come on, somebody shout right now. Oh, how many of you believe you can do all things through Christ? How many of you believe you can do all things through Christ? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And let me explain something to you. She backed off. I went home and laid hands on my brain. How many of you have ever needed to lay hands on your brain? 
And I said, in the name of Jesus, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a disciplined mind. So I went down and took an equivalency test, signed up for it, said, I'm going to get in college. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to be the first in my family to go to college. I'm gonna, and I tell you what, I took that test, laid hands on my brain, and I got in college. Somebody say amen. Glory to God. I went from a 1.9 grade point average in high school to a 3.85 in college because I laid hands on my brain. Now, somebody give God the glory. In a moment, I'm going to take you to some verses in Genesis 32, but I'm going to get real personal with you, and I don't want you to be offended, but I want you to be honest. How many of you have ever felt like nothing? American culture invents ways of making people feel worthless. Think about abortion for a moment. Tonight is not a night to condemn anyone who's had an abortion. It's not a night to criticize anyone. But think of in our culture, the one love that you're supposed to be able to count on is your mom. Here is a person supposed to love you who's taking your life. It's an evil. But in our culture, because we have this curse, we don't value human life. A recent poll said Americans don't even trust each other. Never before in the nation's history have people felt like they had no one who had their back. No one they could really trust. And I look at that and you can feel so overwhelmed by how we treat our elderly. And you look at Seattle, Washington, I'll tell you how bad it is. There are now more dogs than children in Seattle. People don't want a baby. They want a puppy. The Bible says because lawlessness will spread, natural love will die. We're there. If you believe we're there, wave your hand at me right now. We are there. Nobody embodied the idea of being a nobody like Jacob in Genesis 32. But look at me. He wanted to be somebody. How many of you have ever wanted to be somebody? Wave your hand at me right now. How many of you have ever wanted to be a person of honor? Somebody who when you walk into a room, people say, there goes a man of his word, a man of success, a man who can be trusted, a man who isn't afraid, a man's man. I maybe remember Michael Jackson. He sang a song, I'm bad, I'm bad, you know it. But if you were in an alley in Detroit in the dark and a hand reached out and grabbed you and you turned around and it was Michael Jackson, you'd have said, thank God. because he was not bad.
you want to be a man of honor. Look at me. A man that when you walk into a room, you command respect. And you know what else, sir? You don't want to depend on other people. You don't want to be the one who has got his hat in his hand asking, but who is the man of power who is giving. Let me tell you, I'm here to help you is what you want to be. Today, I look at the young women, and I look at Miley Cyrus, who is self-destructing, Lady Gaga, whose last album fell like an egg from a tall chicken. Even her Thanksgiving special had hardly anyone watching it. She's gone. Isn't it amazing that even Americans finally get their fill with obscenity and, and theatrics and stuff and finally say, where is their substance? Now, now I'm going about to say something. I need a dynamic amen from the VO miracle people. Listen to me. Here it comes right now. This is a day for the people of God to stand up and be a model to America. How many of you believe America's ready for holy women of God? Let me tell you, young lady, the ultimate beauty secret is the light of Christ coming through your eyes. There's nothing out there. That hooker look cannot compare. Woo! I'm going to run around this room right now. There is power in wanting to be somebody. There's power in saying, my family tree will not decide my limits. My background and what I was before is not going to decide what I am now. I am a child of God. God will open doors for me. God will change my destiny. God will alter the outcome. And he will change the story of my life. Glory to God. All right. Genesis 32, 24. Everybody look at it. Jacob was left alone. That's our culture, feeling totally alone. And a man wrestled with him until the break of day. Now, this match started early in the morning. In fact, better say it, late at night. Went through the night. He wrestled all night. And the person he was wrestling with, there's been a debate. Was it an angel? Was it God? And the preponderance of the evidence and the orthodox view is that, in fact, it was God. He was wrestling with God. Now, why would he pick a fight with God? Why would he grab God? Look at me. Why would he grab God? Because he says, I am tired of being nobody. I will not let you go until you bless me. And that's what we say, but we don't know what that word means. That's speaking of asking for an inheritance. Give me a family name. Make me a man of honor. Take me out of my con artist ways and the lies of my heritage. His name was Jacob. It meant con artist. It meant a man who would lie and cheat. He was 
a con artist, and he's crying out to God. Everybody raise your hands right now. Pray in the language of the Holy Ghost. Come on, out loud. Let me hear you right now. Just, I want to be a man of honor. I want to be a woman of honor. I want to be somebody. I don't want to be the individual looking from outside, looking in, detached, not belonging, not being worthy. Glory to God. Somebody clap your hands right now. Verse 25 is very, very mysterious. It says, now when he saw that he did not prevail against God, that God didn't prevail against Jacob, he touched the socket of his hip, the strongest joint in the body, by the way. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. That is off the pain chart, by the way. That's a 10 on the pain chart, a dislocated hip. But he didn't stop wrestling. He said, let me go because it's almost daylight. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And in that Hebrew word, bless me, look at me. Unless you give me your name, unless you give me an inheritance, unless you change me from a loser and a liar into a prince, the child of a king. Put your hand over your heart right now and say, I'm a child of a king. I'm a child of the king of kings. Oh, now really clap your hands on that one. Tonight, I want to express to you the power of this moment that Jacob had. Because there is a contradiction in what you just read. God had the power to take his finger and touch the hip socket, the strongest joint in the body, and dislocate it with a touch. But he couldn't break loose of Jacob. Now, I don't get that. How is it that he could not loosen the grip of Jacob, but he could dislocate his hip? Because there are two forces at work. One is the physical body of the man, and the other is he is crying out to God. And I'm going to say something. If I don't get an amen, I'm going to run around this room screaming in a fit of rage. You've got to realize the power you have to get God's attention. And that when one of his own cry out, he can't let go of you. Hallelujah. 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 Look me in the eye. You are a miracle. You are a miracle. How many times before you met Christ did you try to stop using drugs? How many times did you promise yourself, maybe at a New Year's party or somewhere else, this is the last time I get drunk. This is the last time I get loaded. This is the last time I will ever do this. And you went back, and you went back, and you went back, and you went back. But then you met Jesus. Help me somebody. 
and you found willpower that cannot come from this world. You found something that methadone couldn't give you, a counselor couldn't give you, Alcoholics Anonymous couldn't give you. But the secret was, is that you knelt down and you said, I've had enough. I don't want to be this way anymore. God, you've got to hear my cry right now. I don't want that needle. I don't want that pill. I don't want that feeling. I don't want to be that person anymore. And you, God couldn't let go of you. Oh, you remember when you said, give me the Holy Ghost. That's powerful right there. But now the scene changes and we introduce another person. And I'm going to read his story without interruption. Luke 18, beginning at verse 35. And it goes all the way to verse 42. And let's move fast. It says in Luke 18, verse 35. Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before him warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come to him, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Clap for the Lord, everybody. Look at verse 37. They told him it was Jesus of Nazareth passing by, and he cried out, saying, Jesus, son of David. Buddy, look at me. Bartimaeus lived in darkness, ladies and gentlemen. Look at me. He lived in darkness. And the healer, the miracle worker, who he had heard about from other people, and why wouldn't a blind man have heard about a man that opened the eyes of the blind? Somebody thought of him. They said, you know, Bartimaeus, I'm going to tell you something. I just came from being down here by the lake. About 20 miles from here, a man began to preach, and the eyes of the blind began to be opened, and the lepers were cleansed, and the paralyzed got up and walked. How many of you believe a blind man will hear about that? And he's sitting in darkness, and someone says, Jesus, that man that I told you about, that man you heard about, he's walking by right now. And Bartimaeus said, this is my shop. When will he ever be around again? When, when will there ever be another moment in my life where Jesus will be this close to me? And he began to shout. You know what I believe? I believe that church has gotten dead because we have banned and made it illegal for people to cry out to God in a loud voice in a church service. And I believe there's something right about somebody saying, I've got to be touched by God now. 
Somebody say amen to the preacher. Come on, give me an amen right now. How many of you believe in crying out to the Lord? How many of you believe that Jacob did the right thing, saying to God, I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me? By some miracle that I have yet to understand, we were given the honor of conducting monthly healing services in Southern California. We were in the Pasadena Civic Auditorium. And one day, we had all 3,000 seats filled and 500 people outside that didn't get in. And that broke my heart. But what I was mystified by is that one very abusive drunk not only made it in, but he was on the front row. His name was Henry Perez, and he was from Sunland, California. And there were three figures on, in the front row, 3,000 people. I saw this guy. He, it was him, his son, Paul, 10 years old, and the grandmother. Look at me. How many of you believe grandmothers are dangerous? How many of you believe grandmothers know how to pray like nobody else? How many of you know that when I'm talking about getting a hold of God, grandma knew exactly what I was talking about? How many of you believe grandma will pray for her grandbabies and all of heaven will move? All of heaven will move. So, grandma had seen me on TBN that we were going to have this rally. So she went to her drunk son-in-law and said, bring my grandson to this meeting. Little Paul, 10 years old, has spina bifida, which meant he had the, a hole the size of a quarter in the base of his spine. And because his spinal cord had not formed, his legs were nothing but bones, skin and bones. And she had put these beautiful jeans on him and ironed them and starched them, and the crease was sharp. And, but you couldn't tell there were any legs in those pants. And God began to heal the sick. And Henry is saying to his son Paul, so I can hear him. I maybe know drunks are louder than they understand. Drunks don't realize how loud they are. Don't listen to him. He's a fraud. I don't know why we came here. I don't know why your grandmother made us come here. But don't listen to him. He's a fake, son. He's a fake. God began to open the ears of the deaf. We saw healings, beautiful miracles. And then something happened. Henry grabbed his son and held him up in the air. And he began screaming so loud that it shook the whole building. It, it erased everything else going on in the room. What about my boy? And he yelled it over and over and over. And it was before I understood the power of crying out to God. It was before I understood why it is that God could touch a hip socket, dislocate it, and still that man could grab God and God couldn't get away. Why Bartimaeus, by that road, when they told him, you need to keep quiet, he just started yelling even louder. 
Henry Perez is holding this crippled child up in the air, and he's screaming, what about my boy? What about my boy? And it broke me. I never felt so helpless in my life. I never felt so much like I didn't understand even an iota of what it meant to be a minister. And I knelt down. I remember it was an oak stage made out of oak wood, and I knelt down on that wood, hard as it was, and put my palms on the floor and began to openly sob in front of 3,000 people, realizing I had lost control of the meeting, realizing that whatever would happen now, I was either dead, finished, and ruined forever. But I didn't even care. The only thing I knew is this, that I was stunned by the desperation in the voice of this man. And I said, Jesus, if you never, ever show me another miracle as long as I live, if I never, ever see you heal a sick person again as long as I live, let me see your glory in this moment. About that time, I opened my eyes, and it felt like lightning struck that child. Bam! And his legs began to kick in the air. He began to bicycle his legs so violently. And imagine if you are the minister. Imagine if you're in that position where the father could no longer hold his child because he was jerking so violently in the air. And he lunges forward, puts the child on the stage, and little Paul ran into my arms, healed by the power of God. Oh, you need to shout right now. You need to shout right now. That was on a Saturday. On Monday, he went back to the medical center in Sunland. And little Paul took the elevator up to the surgical ward where the surgeons had operated on him, the pediatric, pediatric surgeons had operated on him five times. And he went up there, and there they were at the nurse's station. The elevator opens, and this little boy that had no legs runs out of the elevator. And they told us, the father told us, he testified a month later after he got delivered of alcohol and born again. And he absolutely, he said, Mario, these hardened doctors began weeping like little babies when they saw little Paul Perez. Somebody give Jesus Christ the glory. Give him all the glory. Look at verse 39 of Luke 18. Look at verse 39. The most dangerous people in church are the people around you. Listen to the man of God. Pastors need to learn this lesson. Sometimes the most dangerous people in church are the church board. Sometimes a church can be deacon-possessed. Sometimes we get into this state where we have a false courtesy and a false dignity and a false order. It is not in order to quench the Holy Spirit. It is not in order to tell somebody not to cry out to God. And the Bible tells us then those who went before him warned him to be quiet. 
Why in the world would a, an usher walk up to somebody and say, put your hands down. We don't raise our hands in this church. Pastor, wake up. The question is not, why am I raising my hands, but why are your hands still down? The question is not why I'm so loud, but why are you still so quiet? You know, it was Tennyson, the great poet and writer, essayist, who said, most men lead lives of quiet desperation. Most men lead lives of quiet desperation. There comes a time where a meeting's got to legalize, justify, and say the official rules of this place is that you need to get sick of being sick and cry out to God and say, I don't want this cancer anymore. I don't want this disease anymore. Jesus, son of David, have mercy. Somebody help me with this. How many of you know sometimes it's right to cry out to the Lord? When they told him to be quiet, he cried out all the louder. Then those who went before him warned him that he should be quiet, but he cried all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. You cannot let resistance stop you. The voices that are telling you that tonight is not your night is of the devil. Many things are telling you that tonight is not your night, but you must reject them. When Satan says don't cry out, get even louder. When religious tradition tells you to hold your peace, make a louder noise under the Lord. When the enemy says don't reach out, reach out with more force. When something tells you you cannot walk, then get ready to walk. Do whatever the devil tells you you cannot do. Oh, clap your hands. psalmist said, look at me. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. The Lord has allowed me and blessed me to be able to live where from the back of my house I can see these magnificent hills. And I'm there a lot. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. Chant over your heart right now. Say it with me. My help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. Now, you're not going to like this next part, but you need it. Quit blaming the devil for your own lack of desperation. Quit blaming the devil for what you have been willing to live with. God is my help. The Bible says, He's a very present help in time of need. But I want you to look at one more verse. Psalm 34, verse 6, everyone. Say, Mara, you're preaching a lot tonight. How many of you know we need to be fed? How many of you believe we need the truth to get in us? Psalm 34, verse 6. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all of his troubles. This poor man cried to the Lord, and the Lord heard him and delivered him from all of his troubles. 
This poor man cried to the Lord. Oh, wait, I'm going to get Pentecostal on you in a minute. This poor man cried to the Lord, and the Lord heard him and delivered him from all of his trouble. This poor man cried to the Lord, and the Lord heard him and delivered him from all of his trouble. I am that man. You are that man. You are that woman. Hallelujah. Go back to Jacob for a second. Go back to Jacob. Let me go. It's almost dawn. I will not let you go unless you bless me. And I'm sure he wasn't whispering that. They were wrestling. And Jacob said, I'm not going to let you go. And touched his hip. The pain was excruciating. He said, I can deal with that, but I can't deal anymore with being a nobody. I can't deal anymore with being a con artist. So now if you dislocate both my shoulders, all my fingers and toes, and my knees and ankles, I don't care because I'm not going to let you go. And I don't know by what power I'm even able to hold you here, God. I don't even know by what power that I'm still wrestling with you. But I know that if you could get away, you would have gotten away. But there's a power in the universe greater than physical force. And it's the love of a father for his child. And the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he bankrupted heaven to save your soul. Paul said, how much more then, if he did all of that, will he freely give you all things alongside of Christ? And there comes that moment where Jacob says, I'm not going to stop. Same thing happened. Jesus is walking on the Jericho Road. Somebody say hallelujah. Jesus is walking on the Jericho Road. And he hears somebody yelling. And the Bible says he stopped. Because that cry stopped it dead in his tracks. Jesus, have mercy on me and stop. And it spun him around and he said, bring him to me. There is a woman and I'm going to pray that God may be leading me to bring her down here on Wednesday. And uh, this story is so astonishing, so beyond any possibility of being emotion, psychosomatic healing. It is a healing so incredible that just seeing her, you will already have proof of the power of God. Her name is Teresa, and she is from Clear Lake. She came to the meeting with only days left to live. The doctor sent her home to die. Let me give you a quick shopping list of her illnesses. Her liver was dead. It lost 98% of its function. She had been in a car wreck on top of that and developed a disease in her body where just touching her skin made her feel like she was being stabbed with a knife. And her spine was telescoping down and she, from the accident, lost two inches of her height. She had severe pain to where for 14 years she lived at her house in a separate bedroom from her husband where even the sheets on her bed could cause her pain. 
She took pills that would fill a plastic bag this big every day, all of the capsule bottles that she had to take to stay alive. The doctor said, from your diabetes, from your disease of your nerves, from the deterioration of your spine, she had heart disease. They told her, you wouldn't survive a transplant. We're not even going to put you on the list. You've got only a few hours left to live. And they brought her to our meeting, and she sat on the aisle. Remember, just a touch would give her excruciating pain. The Lord allowed me. I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy to be associated with this. I walked down. I asked her to stand. As I started talking, she hit the floor. She didn't let out a yell or anything. She slammed against the floor. We didn't even have an usher catch her. She slammed onto the floor. While she's on the floor, I'm looking at the husband and saying, does she have this? He's going, yes, 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 until he lost his composure and began sobbing out loud. It's all true. She got up. She hit the ground five foot seven. She stood up. She was five foot nine. Somebody give God the glory. Give God the glory. So what I'm going to tell you, and you need to hear this part because this is important. She goes back to her doctor. That's why I tell people, go back to your doctor. He ran all the tests, sent the test to the UC Medical Center in San Francisco, and they analyzed all of her tests, and they said, your machines are broken. Her EKG, blood pressure, her liver. The doctor said, the liver you have does not exist in actual life. It is only in a textbook that we see a liver this perfect. It was given the highest grade that only a newborn baby has a liver like the one she has in her body today. Somebody give God the glory. No, let's give God the glory. Hallelujah. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call her tonight. How many of you would like to see her here on Wednesday night to give her testimony of how God healed her body? Well, we're going to work on that. But if you skip tomorrow night, I'm telling you, there are going to be consequences. NFL consequences. Serious consequences. And uh, let me tell you, I want you to know that what, what is the service going to be like tomorrow night? Like tonight, only stronger. Somebody say amen. And I want you to br bring people that don't know Christ. I want you to bring them to this meeting. It's very important that they be here tomorrow night because we're going to go after souls. And speaking of that, I want you to look at me right now. I told the people here Sunday afternoon that on the night that I was saved, the Lord didn't ask me to repent of my sin. He didn't ask me to believe that Christ was the Son of God. The first phrase that I heard Christ speak to me is, I want you to preach the gospel. 
that was bold. And the Lord captured me. And of course I repented. And of course I believed that Christ was the Son of God. But more than anything else, on that night, I knew that I was called to preach. A month later, I was weeping before the Lord. Only saved 30 days. And I said, Lord, I want one gift. One gift above all the others. This is the one. I want people to feel the pull of the Holy Ghost to Christ when I give an altar call. Whatever you do, help me that when I ask people to come to God, that you will literally pull them by your power to come and know Him. In a moment, this audience is going to feel that pull. You're going to feel that pull. And when you feel that pull, it will absolutely be the power of God. See, you might believe you can't change. You might believe you cannot make a decision and be free or clean or right. That's the difference. Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, any ism that you can name that has to do with religion is man jumping up to try to reach God. Christianity is God coming down to get us. In Buddhism, you have to do the work. In Islam, Allah asked you to die for him. My God died for me. And the force of the one thing that I believe in more than anything else. Someone said, what do you believe? What is your highest conviction? You know what I believe? I believe in heaven. I believe in every wonderful moment you ever had is a glimmer of heaven. Every time you felt an extraordinary peace and joy or did something you loved that was overwhelmingly wonderful, that was a blink of heaven, a glimpse, an iota. That's all it was. It's coming a day when racism, hunger, and disease will end. Hallelujah. And the Bible says, and of the increase of his government, there will be no end. You see, you and I, when we die and go to heaven, our learning doesn't stop. Our education doesn't stop. Our job doesn't stop. We take on a resurrection body. We sit at the feast of the Lamb to rejoice. We get to watch the devil thrown into flames. Somebody help me right now. How many of you know the Christian, the Christian person has more to look forward to than anybody that ever lived? And then we'll begin the rule and reign of the universe where Christ will educate us on being his bride and being his people. That's going to take forever. And never will we stop learning and never will we stop growing. But the Bible says there's another place. And it is dark and painful and unspeakably horrible. And someone says, how could a God of love create hell? Because love created hell. You see, in Israel, there is the Holocaust Museum. 
You walk in and see the horrors of Adolf Hitler. You see how six million Jews were incinerated, tortured, killed, skinned alive, unspeakable crimes. And over the entrance in Jerusalem to that museum, it says, never again. To the Jews, it's a monument of what happens when evil is allowed to hold forth. Hell is the same thing. It's the universe's Holocaust Museum. Is this what happens when God is disobeyed? And it'll say never again, never again. Now the Bible says that you will stand before God. Yes, you will. And the Bible tells us it is appointed unto everyone once to die and then the judgment. And we will be judged by that name that is above all names. And by no other name can we be saved. Now you're going to say, Mario, I can't believe any of this. I can't believe that God would do that to me. And I'm going to stand before God. I'm going to look at God and say, how could you do that to me? And God with tears in his eyes said, no, that's not the question, my child. Is how could you on that night, seeing that power and knowing the reality of Christ and seeing what he did on the cross, how could you turn it down? And how could you say no? And that's the question. Now close your eyes. This is the mercy of God. You know when a person is paralyzed, they look for feeling to come back. You see, they would even rejoice in pain because pain is an omen of movement being restored. There is a sting before there is life. You need to realize that you are lost. You need to realize that you need God. You need to realize with every bit of yourself that you do not want to die and stand before God. What you want is to stand before God, to confess. I remember that night on December the 2nd, 2013, in Hayward, California, that my name was written down in the book of life and that every sin I ever committed was erased. And I became a child of God, and I started on this journey. Some of you in this room need to do that now. Others of you need to understand something else. You've been wounded on the battlefield, and you need to get back up. You need to get back in the race. You say, Mara, I used to serve God, used to love God, used to walk with God. You know, and now you, you're not. Now you're back in so many things you once knew. But you know what you cannot deny? No matter how much you say you hate church, no matter how much you say there, it is full of hypocrites, you know that the days that you were serving Christ were the happiest days of your life. And those days can come back right now. Now, what I'm going to do is ask you in a moment to raise your hand. And with your hand in the air, this is what you're going to be saying. I want to know that on that day, I will be welcomed in, into heaven. I want to know that the power of the devil is broken off of me, that the chains are gone. I want to know that tonight, Jesus is my Lord. You say, Mara, I, may, I don't believe God can hear my prayer. I've failed so many times. Well, here's what the Bible says. 
If any two of you will agree as touching anything on earth, it will be done. Now, you and I can pray together in agreement for your miracle, for a miracle of knowing Christ, miracle of being restored to Christ, a miracle of being having every sin forgiven and every habit broken. We can believe that together, you and I. Say, Mara, my prayers feel so weak, but you and I could pray together. But I can't do that unless I see your hand. So I'm going to ask once, and I'm going to ask it as deliberately as I can. And don't miss this moment, and don't let it pass you by. If you are in this room, you say, I want to know Jesus Christ to be my Savior and my Lord, and I want to know that I'm going to heaven. Or Mario, I want to get up out of the wounded battlefield of life and stand strong in Christ again. I want to be restored to God. If it's the first time or if it's the last time, if you want prayer for Christ to give you new life, put your hand in the air so I can pray with you. Now jump to your feet. Jump. Don't just stand. Jump. Jump to your feet. Get out of your seat and come to the front right now. Walk out of death into life. Walk out of yourself into his arms. Come out of your fear into his love. Come out of your pain into his forgiveness. And come right now. Glory to God. 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 Somebody clap real loud. We're watching a miracle right now. We are watching a miracle. A miracle in Jesus' mighty name. I'm about to ask a man of God to come on the stage. I'm going to ask Pastor Pineda to come up here. He's going to minister to you in just a moment. What I'm going to do before he comes is to ask you all to put your hand over your heart. And I'm going to ask the audience to repeat this prayer along with the people standing in the front. But you folks at the front need to say it loud. And everyone else, join in. Say with me, Jesus, you are the Son of God. You are the King of kings. In your hand is power and might so that nobody can withstand you. You alone are God. And tonight, you become my God, the object of my worship. You are my loyalty. You are my obsession. You are my passion, my reason for living. I thank you that you look upon my sin and you erase it all. You're forgiving everything I've ever done with a mercy I can never understand. But I'm still going to receive it. I'm going to give you all of me. All of me. I am yours now. But I need your power. The power that raised you from the dead. Let it raise me out of habits, fears, angers, and confusion till I'm filled with God.
and nothing else. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, look, everybody clap real loud. This is miracle time. Miracle time. Miracle time. Oh, I can't wait till tomorrow night. Now, if you, if you would look at me just a moment, the Bible says that you are like a newborn baby. The Bible says you're like a newborn baby. And let me tell you, God puts a love in parents for their baby. When I saw my son in the hospital right when he was born, it's like the bottom of my heart fell out. And I had an unlimited capacity to love. That's how God feels about you. And he wants to take care of you. So he gives men gifts. He gives women and men gifts of pastoring, discipling, and growing people. You know what would be very wrong and hypocritical of me is to tell you to go back to your seat right now. Because here I spent all that time convincing you how important it is for you to come to Christ. And then I'm going to have you go back to your seat like that. I would be lying against my own sermon. That's why God anoints a pastor like this, so that you develop roots and wings. Roots to stay strong in God and wings to soar in the power of the Holy Spirit. The questions that you need answered. You see, tonight, you took but one step forward. It's out of darkness into light. But he's about to come and give you a, a moment of instruction. How many of you are glad for this man of God in this place? How many of you are glad for this man of God? Hallelujah. So I want you to bow your heads as he comes right now to take this service.